everywhere scripture portrays Christians as soldiers. You know, yeah. we're in a spiritual war, and uh, though our weapons are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, we are in a war, and the idea is to tear down these ideological strongholds. This is the way Paul describes it in Second Corinthians 10. We're tearing down ideas, uh, satanic strongholds of false ideologies in which people are imprisoned. And so our enemy in the war is Satan and, you know, his doctrines, not the people. The idea is to liberate people from those fortresses of lies. And uh, and once you see that's what we're doing here, it's not we're not out to hurt people or although worldly people will complain. Now, you've hurt my feelings now because you refuse to use my pronouns or recognize my identity or whatever. I'm more concerned about the truth and the best thing I can do, the most loving thing I can do for someone who is imprisoned by lies is to try to tear down that stronghold of a false ideology that they're trapped in. And when you realize that, I think it's, it's kind of easier to be bold. I've never personally had one, but I hear the turducken is to die for. You guys ever had a turducken? I've had not a turducken, but something similar. Because turducken is turkey, duck, chicken. Yeah. What? One with <laughs> one inside the other. <laughs> I think I had one, but instead of duck, it was like ham or something. Talking about a hybrid. Really? Yeah. So I, seriously, uh, put a duck with an. You've never chicken? heard of a turducken, right? No. Yeah, you crossbreed what? Duck. Uh, you put a chicken inside a duck, a duck inside a turkey. This isn't live. This They're is dead. This, this is, is real. Yeah, I was going to say they're cooked. Yes. And then put the turkey inside of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, it's like a, it's like the, that's like the Russian nesting dolls of food. Hmm. I'd eat that. Yeah. Would you, Oscar? What? Oscar, what would you not eat? Seriously. I feel like I owe everything one try. Marmite. That's what you won't eat. Thousand year egg. Everything. If I was in the right context, like if you brought me a thousand year egg, whatever those things are called, and you're like, here we are on the podcast, eat this, it, I'd have a really hard time. But if I was in a country that had those as a delicacy and I was having a meal with the family and they're like, look, we brought this. You'd have to. I'd ha- I would eat it. Why would you have to? Well, I'm not, not saying I'd have to. You could actually do sleight of okay. hand with an egg. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend. Yeah, you don't want to offend them. But what happens about my being offended? Can I, can I, I'm offended that you offered that to me. Right? Yeah. But no, you, your offense wins over my offense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my offense always wins over your offense, Mark. Yeah. That's the way it is. Okay. What's a thousand year egg? I've heard of it's it. It's an egg that's a thousand years old. Stop. No, aren't they, aren't they sort of soaked in cow urine? Soaked in cow urine or something like that? I thought like it was that. vinegar. No, same thing. <laughs> Why? Why do people eat this stuff? Century eggs, also known under a wide variety of names. They're a Chinese egg-based culinary dish made by preserving dug, chicken, or quail eggs. And then I have to hit the link to go further. Now, I want to know this. I was watching something the other day where they were uh, showing a cheese that was being cut open, like one of those big round cheese things. (laughs) Oh, yeah. After like... I don't know, years I've years. always wanted to do that. Mm. Okay, well, the guy's like, you know, he cuts it and yeah. then he opens it and he's like, ay, the smell is so nice. Yeah. What sort of accent? Chinese. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what? From, <laughs> Chinese from Australia? <laughs> no, it's a, a Frenchman would do that. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. This guy was British or something. But, uh, but I want to know who was the first guy oh. 
that discovered that you age cheese and it tastes good? Because, I mean, it had to be uh, an accident. Okay, actually, I kind of know the etymology Stop. of this. Stop. They wanted to transport cheese on, like, on a caravan, and so they stuck it in the inner linings of a cow to preserve it, <laughs> and that also is what gave it the rind and flavor, and, and now that, that's sort of like how that developed. It started like that. What do you mean? You're saying there's some cheese they wrap up in a cow intestine? Inner or? lining of a cow, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me which one that is, because maybe I've eaten it and I yeah. liked it. It's called goat cheese. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it's called. Goat cheese is good. Mark, you have I love to say. goat cheese. No, I was just going to read you the de- definition, the etymology of cheese and where it all came read from. Read it, please. I'm actually very bored as I read no, it. No, no, no. Read, Mark. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he means out loud, yeah. Mark. Oh, out loud. Yes. I'm sorry. The word cheese comes from the Latin word cassis, which is also the origin of the word Kissian. The earliest source of the word cheese is the Proto-Indo-European <laughs> root quat, which means to ferment or become Farming. sour. The word cheese first appeared okay, in the middle stop, of Okay, stop, stop, yeah, Mark. See, that's, that's why from, I didn't read it. That's so, Mark, when did the word cheese first appear? Uh, cheese. You've, you've had, you've had yeah. cow lining no. cheese. No. You've had it. What? It's Parmesan. Stop. Parmesan cheese is made with animal <laughs> rennet, which is no. an enzyme that comes from the fourth lining of the stomach of animals, typically calves, yeah. goats, or lambs. Oh, yeah, yeah Parmesan for you. I had no idea. So, but David took cheese to his brothers. No. Well, so that's before. Cheese existed before written language, according to uh, ChatGPT. But some yeah. people are like really into cheese. Like it's like, a, it's like wines cheese. or like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Todd Friel one time uh, sent me a basket of cheese, and it, it was... I mean, some of it was unreal. It was so oh, was unbelievably it delicious. It was fake. You're saying. <laughs> fake cheese. Yeah. My buddy Philip Moore in France, he's a pastor. Uh, he loves cheese. And he promised when we're over there for the Olympics that he's going to give me a tour de cheese. Ooh. All right. Wow, you got to take nice. us on that tour, Oscar. Yeah. Film it. Yeah. So, guys, okay, I mentioned the turducken, but I think what you two need, Oscar and Mark, is the Burke schnitzel, beef, pork, and wiener schnitzel. Look how excited. Isn't that just a hot dog? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, you admit, Oscar, a hot dog is just made of a bunch of parts of a bunch of... I I mean, some of them, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. If it tastes good, I feel like I'd just rather not know. The one you like. Wiener schnitzels? I don't know what wiener schnitzels is made of. I don't want to blaspheme. I'm not sure anybody really knows. But, boy, is it good. I still need to get Ray a chili cheese dog. You're yeah. going to eat it, Ray? I'd eat anything right at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so hungry. No, Mark, yeah. so Mark. I tell you, it's not easy finishing a 40-day fast. You feel really weak and cold. Ray, Mark, what's the longest is... you've ever fasted? Go what? ahead. Oh, um, a day and a half. So Mark, I just, I just about died. <laughs> <laughs> do you think maybe we can cater winter since on one of these days instead of a taco guy? Right now? Yeah. You know what? We're going to do that on one of these podcasts. We yeah. should. I think, I think our listeners oh. deserve... To watch you guys do something disgusting. Well, listen to, listen to it. I may even eat one. Mark, when is the last time you had Wiener no, Schnitzels this morning? I don't morning? think I will. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Oscar. I had it a few days ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends. Ray, why'd you rub your hands together? I'm cold. Oh. After that 40 day fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's a comment from. I'm kidding. Ak. Lexi, oh, did you have to qualify your name? <laughs> yes, I, I hope someone doesn't take me <laughs> seriously. The guy who couldn't survive a day and a half, 40 days. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, here's a comment, friends, from Ak- Lexi. Love it. I enjoy listening to this podcast when doing housework. You guys are entertaining, funny, and edifying, and I am encouraged by every episode I listen to 
to grow in the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lexi. What an encouragement and a blessing. May the Lord keep blessing you through this silliness. What, right? Nothing. <laughs> that reminded me when I was in school dreaming and the teacher says, Com- comfort, say that. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Ray's just cold and hungry. All right, friends. This podcast is brought to you by My Comfort is Jesus Devotional. Morning and evening, Ray. Mm-hmm. Are you proud of that work, Ray? Humbly. Humbly proud. Yeah. What am that, I supposed to do in the afternoon? That almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There should yes, be one. morning, afternoon, and evening. Yeah. And nighttime. <laughs> and snack time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, friends, don't forget to check that out along with the Living Waters mug and the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Dot com. All right. The G3 journey continues. Uh, this time, friends, we have our friend Phil Johnson with us. Phil, we almost friend. got away with doing this recording without easy. Yeah. We ah. tried to wrap it up. This is a spoiler alert. Yeah. Listen, you'll enjoy the entire episode <laughs> yeah. free of the sweet, the wheezy. This will no doubt have the lowest, <laughs> the lowest download numbers. Uh, but yeah, I, I had to, as I mentioned in there, I had to go up on stage at G3, which was an honor and to, uh, to tell people about living waters and what we do. And so, what do 80, we do? 80, we have no idea <laughs> what we do or what we're doing. But 8,300 people at that conference, and, and uh, we, we had the story shared with us, which you'll hear on one of the upcoming uh, episodes. But what, a, what an amazing atmosphere, guys. Honestly, didn't you walk away just encouraged and scared? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was my favorite thing to do to people while we were there? Oh, my. The oh, boy. <laughs> so wait, 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 what do you mean, oh, boy, Mark? It's so, you do it too. It's Rachel so was wrong. so embarrassed. She uh, says, I'm so embarrassed by my husband. Yeah. Because you kept doing it. Yeah, what, well, so people would be audience. What goes on? <laughs> if you ever see us in public, don't fall for this, please. Here's what Easy does. Eventually, in a conversation, ninety percent of the time, someone will say something like, "Oh, I just wish Ray was here," or "Oh, it's be go- so great to see Ray." And Easy points over their shoulders and he goes, <laughs> "He's right there." <laughs> and they turn with so much glee, whiplash, and excitement to look for Ray, oh, who's boy. not there. Uh. It really does. And is that when, that's when you laugh and at them? And then I just laugh. He points. And then he laughs. kicks him in the shin Mark. and he runs away. <laughs> Look at Mark sitting there acting innocent. You do the exact same thing, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I was discipled. I don't want to say it, but if I don't say it, I get fired. Uh, yeah, that's true. I taught you the ways. Anyway, now Phil is a delight. You know, talk hmm. about humility. That guy has the capacity to be an author in his own right. He's a phenomenal writer, uh, obviously speaks everywhere. He could be a senior pastor, but he has, by choice, uh, come alongside Dr. John MacArthur for decades, I think over 40 years, and edits just about every one of his books and holds up his arms. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a great encouragement yeah, well, and inspiration. I, I don't remember where I heard it, but it was like, if he were to leave GTY and go start his own thing, he could affect... Uh, Hundreds or thousands of people. But if he stays where he's at, he can affect millions. Yeah. And he kind of likes Spurgeon too, doesn't he? Oh, he loves Spurgeon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just love Phil. He and I have become good friends over the years. We've served on a board together of a ministry. And um, I just, I find him to be a real encouragement, just a real faithful, dedicated, consistent man. So Phil is going to talk to us about how Christians can cultivate courage and boldness in a cowardly age. That's a good way to describe 
the day and age in the midst of which we live. So get ready for some encouragement from our dear brother, Phil Johnson. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Welcome back. We are here still at G3, obviously with the noise you hear in the background, but this time we are sitting down with Director of Grace to You and Elder at Grace Community Church, but more importantly, Thorn in the Side of Dr. Steve Lawson. Isn't that right, Phil? <laughs> I don't know if he'd say that, but uh, yeah, I, 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 enjoy, him, I enjoy doing things that uh, contradict his, his rules, like... He, Wearing the wrong tie when I preach, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. The important does he hit you up about that if you wear a wrong tie? He, you know, he, he's never said anything to me about it. But if I were a student, like if I were a seminary student, he would, he would, because he's notorious for that. That's kind of why I do it, because it's a big deal with him. <laughs> you have to wear the right tie, and and uh, so I'm kind of testing him to see if he'll ever rebuke me for my dress code in the pulpit. He hasn't yet. But. Nice, that's great. Uh, you know, there's something that I think uh, your your wonderful church and your seminary and uh, everything that you guys do over there is sort of known by amongst other Christians, uh, which is your guys' boldness for biblical truth in the face of all that is happening today. What is it about the DNA of your church that, that causes such boldness in the face of it all? You know, I think it, it, you have to say it goes back to John MacArthur. That is his legacy for the church. Um, he's been there now, you know, 50 years. He's been in ministry for 54 years, wow. I think. And Grace Church is the only church he's ever pastored. Wow. He preached 3,500 sermons. And um, he is, he's remarkable for his boldness. And it's hard to be around him for very long and not pick up on that a little bit. And so I think he's influenced the elders and other leaders at Grace Church, of all of us, to, to you know, be bold, especially in the face of criticism from the world. Because yeah. Jesus said, look, don't, don't be surprised if the world hates you. They mm-hmm. hated me first. And um, he, he actually said, if you're faithful, the world will hate you. And so we're not to be surprised by that. I think one of the besetting sins of contemporary evangelicalism is an attitude where evangelicals seem to think that if we could just get the world to like us more, if we could be more acceptable to the world, then we'd have an easier time at evangelism. Mm. And it actually doesn't work that way. It's counterproductive. Now, I heard a rumor, you need to tell me if it's true, something that John had said to you. I forbid you to go to the seminary because I will have the professors one after the next come to me 
because they're going to be combating you and how you <laughs> deal with them. So you're not allowed to go to the seminary and well, send you elsewhere. He did. He did. Uh, tell the dean of the seminary not to give me an application. <laughs> and when I asked him why, he said, yeah, he says, you, you don't need to sit in seminary and, you know, correct the professors yeah, or whatever it is you're going to do. And, and uh, yeah, he didn't go that far into it, but that's probably what you just said is probably what was on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's actually a good segue because, Phil, you, you seem like the kind of guy that your natural disposition is to be bold. Not everybody's like that. Right there, are, right there are some who are uh, more introverted, uh, if I could use that terminology, some that are more reserved and things of that nature. And yet, I think when we read the scriptures, there is a kind of boldness that we will come under through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what What is it about the scriptures that will light a fire of boldness for even the most timid person. Right, because the scriptures actually are full of teaching like that. I mean, you look at any biblical character, like Gideon, for example, yeah, right. who was not, you know, bold by nature. And I'm the same way. I'm not, I was not born bold. I was, through high school, you know, pretty timid. Really? And uh, I think that's my default position, to be timid, to sort of not provoke disagreement or back away from an argument or whatever. Uh, but it was, I became a Christian at age 17 and that began to change my perspective on, you know, how important it is to, to actually defend the truth. And, and you notice that everywhere scripture portrays Christians as soldiers, you know, yeah. we're in a spiritual war and, uh, though our weapons are not, you know, carnal, they're not of the flesh. Uh, we are in a war, and the idea is to tear down these ideological strongholds. This is the way Paul describes it in Second Corinthians 10. We're tearing down ideas, uh, satanic strongholds of false ideologies in which people are imprisoned. And so our enemy in the war is Satan and you know his doctrines, not the people. The idea is to liberate people from those fortresses of lies and... Uh, and once you see, that's what we're doing here. It's not, we're not out to hurt people or, although worldly people will complain. Now, you've hurt my feelings now because you refuse to use my pronouns or recognize my identity or whatever. I'm more concerned about the truth and the best thing I can do, the most loving thing I can do for someone who is imprisoned by lies is to try to tear down that stronghold of a false ideology that they're trapped in. And when you realize that, I think it's it's kind of easier to be bold. Yeah. Have you have you always been like that? You know, as far back as I've been reading all the, the Spurgeon archives and the Cripplegate and Pyromania, as long as, as far back as I go, you've always been like this, where you've been courageous, it's all about the Word of God, but is there, has there been a journey for you to get you to this place? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think probably most of it uh, was shaped in my thinking before I got on the internet. So once hmm. I started on the internet, that was around 1995, I was already not afraid to defend some biblical idea. It's interesting, you say it like that, you're courageous. Most people say, why are you so contentious? <laughs> and uh, Well, is there a difference? Th- there is, and, and I don't want to be contentious. I mean, to be pugnacious is a disqualifying thing. You can't right, be a, right. a leader in the church if you're if you just love the fight. Yes. It's not the fight I love, it's the truth. And and I, I constantly remind people, there are many truths that are hotly debated that you yeah. couldn't get me in an argument about because I really don't care. It's not, it's not 
you know, whether you believe in believer's baptism or infant baptism, that doesn't put your soul in peril if you're wrong. Yeah. But if you if you deny some truth that is at the very heart of the gospel, the doctrine of justification by faith, for example, then I want to defend that doctrine for your sake, because if you're wrong on that, if you're trusting in the wrong thing for salvation, that puts your, your soul in eternal peril, That's and it, it's worth fighting for. You, real quick, you said something, you wrote something about Living Waters that challenged me personally about 20 years ago. You, you talked about Living Waters is great. It has hell's best kept secret. Right. Where's heaven's best kept secret? And it took me some time. I needed to take that to task. I was taken out to the back shed is what, is what <laughs> happened. And I said, well, wait, listen, Living Waters, we, we exist. We want to evangelize. We want to equip the church to properly evangelize. Stop using life enhancement as a draw card for salvation. Use the law of God to bring the knowledge of sin. And then there's the gospel. And everybody knows the gospel. But we have 30 minutes of time, maybe inside of a church. We want to unpack the gospel, but we need to let people know that they're they're sinners. Yeah. Right? So, but what you did was I examined all the material that Living Waters had. And I thought to myself, he's right. He's right. Where is the substitutionary atonement? Where, where are we expanding on justification? Where is yeah. the imputed righteousness of Christ? And I'll tell you, because you were courageous in writing that and honest in, in your, because you did it with all the websites. You know, people ask you, apparently that's why you probably yeah. critiqued all the websites. It changed Living Waters. Yeah, and I appreciate that about Ray Comfort and Living Waters. You guys are amazing in that sense because the 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 normal reflex for most people is to defend. Well, we're not wrong. We're not <laughs> wrong. And, uh, and I didn't think you guys were wrong either. In fact, I, I think uh, Hell's Best Kept Secret is one of the best sermons I've ever heard, hmm. and it brings balance in a, in an era where most evangelicals will say nothing about the law. They don't tell people that they're sinners. They don't confront people with their need for salvation, and and yet Jesus said, "Look, it's the sick who who need a physician, uh, not those who are whole." And you guys are the only ones out there telling people you need a physician. Hmm. And so I, I got that. I appreciate that. But I, but I did say to Ray, I, I think you ought to balance hell's best kept secret with heaven's best kept secret. Do something on justification by faith. And he answered with a document that he sent me that was his discourse on justification by faith that was one of the best, clearest uh, presentations it of the gospel. It was from ChatGPT. <laughs> no, I know better than that because I asked ChatGPT the same question and it didn't get it right. So, <laughs> so yeah, no. So I appreciate that about Ray, and uh, uh, he's amazing. He's yeah. and talk about somebody that's bold. I, I, I deliberately don't go out on the street with Ray because I'm too chicken to do everything that he does. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Gideon earlier, who is small and timid. We work with somebody who is small and timid, and his name yeah. is Ray Comfort. <laughs> That's right. But when it comes to the gospel, and I actually mean, I'm saying that as sort of a, a joke, but I'm also serious. Ray is, uh, he is not a confrontational person. Not at yeah, all. I've heard him say that. I've heard him say that. He gets nervous before he goes out, and you, you know you watch him work, and yeah. you you would not believe that this guy's afraid of anything. Well, listen, the first time I went out open air preaching with him, it was in 1995, and we went to the Balboa Fun Zone, and I said, I wonder how he's going to do this after the merry-go-round ride. Yeah, you is, said. He gonna, is he going to go around? <laughs> is he going to be praying over? It? I mean, what is his natural mood when he approaches a situation like this? And we we parked the car, 
He walked right up to this cement soapbox, got up and just started preaching before I was even like three steps <laughs> there. And I asked him, what, what was going through your mind to do that? And he said, well, if I would have waited five seconds, I would have talked myself out of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's off. I would have looked at their faces. I would have got nervous. A nervous man is a praying man, but I realize for me, as soon as I get there, I just got to go or I'll talk myself out of it. I'll, I'll freak myself out. Yeah. He is in regular life timid. Uh, he is not confrontational, but he is so compelled and convicted by the reality that so many souls are, are headed for hell. Yeah. And he just cannot do anything else but do something about it. Yeah. And I actually think, and I love you to talk about this, I think because I asked you earlier, what's the difference between being bold and, for lack of a better terminology, being a jerk? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where, like, where's the balance there? Uh, I think for, for Ray and for many in the right way, it's, it's the recognition that we didn't earn this. I'm not smarter than the next person. I'm not more moral than the next person. I'm not more religiously righteous than the next person. I have been given a gift by God. Uh, it is grace. And now I'm compelled to share it with others. How do we ground ourselves in that kind of humility so that we don't tip over from being bold for the sake of Christ to being bold for the sake of our own personal pride? Yeah, and you may be asking the wrong person because I am definitely not an expert on that. I think about that. In fact, I watch Ray. I watch his videos that he puts where he's out witnessing and everything. And he's able to say things that... If I said it, it's I would so come across like This is so like true. A, we cannot get away with the things that he I know. Says. I'd come across like a jerk. And yeah. I, I don't know if it's my facial expression or, <laughs> or just Ray's diminutive size that lets him get by with it. I, I, I don't <laughs> it's know. part but, of it. But people love him. And, uh, and so it is a gift. I mean, he just has this sort of effervescent personality that uh, enables him to get by with saying things that if I said, you'd say, you're acting like a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him have a conversation with two lesbian wi- women. The conversation yeah. starts where they're holding hands and he shares the law and the gospel with them and doesn't hold anything back. And they're hugging him and thanking him afterwards. Yeah. And I'm like, I would have left with the bloody nose. Yeah. Not because I wanted to, but I don't know what would have happened. You are a lover, it seems, of church history. Um, I am. I am as well. What are, what are examples, as you look back in church history, what are examples of the church being bold in the face of persecution? And I ask this question specifically because I feel like we live in the tyranny of the immediate. Right. Especially here in the United States, I feel like everyone thinks like this is the first time the church has ever faced something so incredible. Yeah. Uh, when we look at church history, what we find is we've been here before. How did the church respond, and how did and, and what kind of work did God do through it? Yeah, in fact, you've, I'm sure, heard of Spurgeon and the downgrade controversy. Yeah. That, that's named the downgrade controversy because of a couple of articles he published, written by a friend of his named Schindler, Robert Schindler, I think was his name. Uh, and his, the argument Schindler was making is that church history is cyclical. Mm. And so you have these cycles of apostasy that happen and in, in the same pattern over and over and over again. And, you know, you could trace church history just since the downgrade controversy and see we've been through three or four more cycles exactly like he described. So he's right. And I think the, the greatest lesson in all of that, you could actually go back all the way to the Old Testament, the book of Judges, and even before, and see these same cycles of apostasy were happening in the Old Testament. And the most important lesson I would take from that is that God's will and work is rarely done by a majority. It's always the remnant oh, yeah. that is good. faithful. 
and I want to be part of that faithful remnant. And I think one of the things that plagues evangelicals today is this notion that if we if we don't gather, you know, majority opinion on our side, we're going to lose the battle. And mm. and I, I think we need to shift our thinking and say, no, no, no I'd rather be part of the faithful remnant mm. rather than the the easygoing majority, because the majority is ultimately going to drift and slide into apostasy. Right, and this is what we saw in the essential church. Right, right? I saw with Easy inside the movie theater. We're watching it, and we're like, "This is so well produced." It is, and this is lighting, if nothing else, lighting a fire underneath the pastors across the world. I att- I, I attend Pastor Philip DeCourcy's church. Right, been there for fifteen he years. He was, you know, so. my next door neighbor for I don't know five years. How or did sorry you put about up that? With, yeah, wow. How did you? Yeah. <laughs> my kids learned how to do that Ulster accent. Oh. They can all do it pretty well. I, I, yeah, I can't. Every accent of mine sounds Hispanic, and every accent of Ray's sounds Indian. Yeah, uh, we're not <laughs> this like you guys. True. This yeah, is true. This is true. But uh, on Sunday, I attended uh, Tony Woods uh, Church uh, down in a Costa Mesa Mission Bible Church, and he stood up there, and in the midst of his message, he said, "Mark my words, we will never shut down this church. Those doors will never ever be locked." That's what I saw come out of the Essential Church yeah. with COVID, with you guys raising the flag, running out. And uh, doing the work that nobody really knew what to do. Yeah. Sorry, real quick for those who don't know, what is COVID? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Essential Church. I think going to show it here tonight. Tonight, I think is so. It? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, it's an amazing documentary, and I and I don't take credit for it. I didn't have anything to do with the producing of it. I'm interviewed in it, but I was a little worried when I heard they were going to do it. I thought, well, I, I don't want somebody to just make a. A celebratory CD making John MacArthur sound like a superhero and Grace Church sound like, you know, whatever. But it, it, it isn't. And it, it's really well done how it weaves together stories from church history yes. and tells the story of the two pastors in Canada who were imprisoned because they kept their churches open during COVID. Uh, and then weaves together with that what happened at Grace Church and when we opened our doors and all of that in a way that just simply relates the facts, but illustrates, I think, how important it is to to let Scripture and um, and your own conscience guide what you do, and don't fall prey to uh, just going along with the majority or or listening to what we now know is propaganda that we get from the media mm. and the government. Should the Lord tarry and not come back? Do you, do you think that the church in the future is going to be looking back on COVID on the decisions? that are being made as to not shut the doors because of maybe future persecution that's going to hit and they're going to look, they were able to do it, we can do it yeah. as well. I hope so. I hope so. I, I think that's the whole point of the documentary, to try to infuse into uh, church leaders the conviction that, look, and that's why it's called the essential church. What happened in California was the governor said, we're going to open essential businesses, but the non-essential ones right. have to stay yeah. closed. And he listed church with non-essential but essential things included stuff like the casinos and massage parlors and strip joints. They, they were able to open. So they, they turned upside down what's really essential and what's not yeah. necessary you at know, all. That actually leads to a great question, which is what is it about the gathering of God's people on Resurrection Sunday every single Sunday that's essential uh, and, and maybe answer that in the sense of certainly in the, in the midst of COVID, but also in the midst of so many Christians who are satisfied being home, streaming sermons online. 
what is essential about the gathering of God's people on Resurrection Sunday every Sunday? Right. That's a great question because in the first place, the word church means called out ones. It's the gathering of God's people. And there's so much in the New Testament about this. Uh, First epistle of John, for example, makes your love for the brethren one of the defining marks of whether your faith is genuine or not. And if you genuinely love the brethren, you're going to sense this sort of craving for fellowship with Mm -hmm. them. And you're not going to be happy to sit at home watching a live stream of some church service while you sip your coffee in your pajamas. It's not the same thing. You can do that, you know, if you if you have a communicable disease and can't go to church and you're sick. It's great to have that advantage because you don't miss the sermon and all that. But that's not a substitute for the fellowship of the church. Good. Bring the your New pajamas Testament. and your coffee to church. <laughs> <laughs> well, lots of churches do let you sip coffee now while you're listening to the sermon, and, and I won't argue about that. But uh, the New Testament word is koinonia, you know, yeah. and it means fellowship and face-to-face fellowship. Paul says repeatedly, in fact, I, I did a concordance search when I was I was answering a question our attorneys had asked uh. about what is it about wearing masks that you feel inhibits your worship you know there's the obvious stuff singing you know you don't want to sing with a masked face and and all that but it, it was I did a concordance search and was amazed at how many times Paul said things like I long to see your face I want to come and see you face to face that word face is frequent in scripture and always almost always associated with the fellowship of the saints uh, what happens in church it's an important thing and i don't think a lot of us maybe realized how important fellowship is until we missed it because of the covid shutdown yeah that's um, good i was there at grace church the very first sunday we were closed because i'm grace to you and we have to make sure the sermon john preaches is recorded so i'm sitting in there in an otherwise empty auditorium, I counted the people. There was a organist and a, and a soloist, John MacArthur, eight of us total. I'm there with my wife. On that first Sunday, it's preaching to this empty auditorium, and it was not only surreal, it just didn't feel right. The vibrance different. Yeah, totally different. And yeah. even John said, I do not like preaching into a camera yeah. and with no people. But then people began to come as the weeks went on. Second week, there were a few more people. Third week, there were a lot more people. Before we knew it, there were like three, four hundred people sneaking in, even though the church was closed. The remnant. Yeah. And I'm realizing, yeah, they're not as afraid of COVID as they are loath to miss Mm. the fellowship of the church, Mm. fellowship of the saints. So that was what motivated the elders to say, look, we've got to reopen the church. We're starving our people for fellowship. And and on that first Sunday when the church was opened, even though we were all over the news as defying the government and they were threatening to throw John MacArthur in jail and all that, I've never seen a more joyful Sunday at Grace Church. I've been there for 40 years, and that was that was a definite highlight because people just, it was like getting water after you'd walk through a desert. Yeah. I, I had this picture of like, you know, they're like, they're coming after John MacArthur and Phil Johnson. I'm like, oh man, they're going to be in a white Bronco down the 5405 freeway in a few <laughs> minutes. They're being chased after. Did you guys realize in the moment that you weren't just fighting to keep grace open, but all the small churches that don't question. have the funds to do what you guys did? Did you, you realize it in that? the moment? Yeah, that, that occurred to me, but I didn't really appreciate how important that was until afterward. And, and like, I come to a conference like this, just in two days' time, I've had probably something like 40 different church leaders and even 
people from various churches who say, thank you for what you all did during COVID because it motivated our our church yeah. to open up as well. So, yeah, I think it, it, it had a more far-reaching impact than we expected, but I think we knew that we had a maybe a, a greater duty to whom much is given, much shall be required. And because Grace Church is so large and visible and influential, and we had the resources to fight the the legal battle that would ensue, we had a special duty, I think, to sort of lead the way on the thing. Yeah. And we were all conscious of that. You know, at ShepCon, I think it was this past year with, yeah, definitely this past year, MacArthur stood up and he said something that just made my heart uh excite with joy. And he said, I've learned to appreciate and welcome and desire those moments that are Red Sea, where I have no other option other than I have to trust God. I'm completely, I think it was General MacArthur who said, the enemy's before me, the enemy's behind me, he's to the left and he's to the right. Well, he's not going to get away this time. <laughs> right? That That is the mentality it that is. MacArthur loves to have that has come out of GTY and really lit a fire underneath all of us, and I, I want to say thank you, you know, for that because that, yeah. that that affected Kindred Community Church. Yeah, I know, I know, and uh, it's the same with me. I, that wouldn't be my reflex response. Like I hear John say that, and I think yeah. I I don't desire those uncomfortable moments when I don't know where my help is going to come from. Yeah, mm. but John seriously does. He loves that. He loves the. And, and he's got such a record of faithfulness and triumph that it's hard not to follow a man like that. It's, yeah. That's the kind of leader you want to attach your life to and say, I'll follow him hmm. wherever he's going. I'm well, going. I, in response to that, I heard another pastor respond to MacArthur and say, yeah, we, we have like Romans 8, 28 highlighted, underlined. You know, we have, uh, I can do all things. Through, you know, things are highlighted. And what happened is the Bible has just become an adult coloring book for a lot of us. And without even realizing it, we have just become hearers and not doers. Yeah. And then when our backs are up against the wall, that's when you want to underline that scripture, but you want to have it as part of you before that time. And that's yeah. what's, that's and what's I happened. Think for a lot, and kind of going back to what I said earlier, for a lot of guys out there, small churches, like we have a church plant. We planted it a year or so before COVID, uh, meeting out of a public school. And so when COVID hits, the school shuts down and they have absolutely no desire to have us back. We're meeting in backyards. We're struggling to try to figure it out. And then, you know, the whole thing hits with your guys' church. And so that's what I mean by, like, some people just don't have the financial resources yeah. Yeah. to do it. And that alone just gave so many churches that want to be bold, that want to be brave, that are convicted by God's word, but that don't have the resources to accomplish something like that. And you guys did that. It's amazing. We yeah. really appreciate it. What's, uh, what's next? What are you guys working on right now? I just finished editing John MacArthur's next book. He he preached a series of sermons and wrote the material for the book more than a year ago, and uh, and I, I've been his main editor for forty years now. So wow. uh, I just finished this book. It's called "The War on Children." Okay, and he's tracing all the influences in our current culture that target children and groom them and. Yeah. Uh, confuse them about gender and things like that and he's raising the question what is the proper response for christian parents what do we do in a situation like this yeah well give us a give us a little taste what do we do i mean speaking of boldness how do we be bold as christian parents 
raising children in Babylonian exile? Yeah, and the answer is the same. You have to do what Scripture says. You have to do what you know is right and be prepared to face the consequences. And it may not be a comfortable situation. You may be opposed by the government. Governments these days actually are threatening to take children away from their parents if they if they don't let them be indoctrinated in, you know, LGBTQ cultism or something. Yeah. So he's just saying, you know, we need to be faithful and trust the Lord that he will guard and protect our children while we do what he's called us to do. And uh, he makes the point, for example, that the government doesn't own our children. They, they think they do. They'd like to have that control. But the truth is, even parents don't own the yeah, children. Those children belong to God, and they're given to us as parents in a stewardship. And it's a very well-defined stewardship. I mean, you go all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, where the Lord says, you know, teach these things to your children. And then he says, when you, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, he names every conceivable part of life. And he's basically saying, at no point should you stop teaching your children the principles of God's Word and the, and the values of righteousness. That's good. And um, so it's mainly an encouragement to parents in difficult times. That's good. Speaking of children, you claim to be 70. Being a grandparent in the midst of all this, how do we come alongside our children where you know, we have indirect influence? What, what, what does that look like? Yeah, and, and, you know, grandparents have to remember they're not the parents. Right. So, like, it's... It, you're an encouragement to the parents, or you should be. And uh, I love being a grandparent. I tell people that being a grandfather is the only thing that makes old age tolerable. <laughs> and I, I love my grandkids. It's a, Not the discounts? No, no. Even the early bedtimes? No, the discounts are humiliating. You know, you go into, I have a final question for you, and that is, is, is there a book or two that you find yourself circling back, reading that has impacted you over the years, maybe that you recommend to our audience? J.C. Ryle's Holiness. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's convicting every time you read it. Mm. It's just it's one of the best books ever written. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, I'm known as a Spurgeon aficionado. Uh, yeah. there is, somebody asked me yesterday, what's your Spur- favorite Spurgeon sermon? And I don't really have a single favorite. I mm. think you can pick up Spurgeon at any point, randomly choose a sermon, and you're going to be edified yeah. by it. So yeah, I, I heard you say uh, everybody likes to quote Spurgeon, but they don't like to read Spurgeon. You don't yeah. really know what his theology truly is, because yeah. if you really believed his theology, if you really like Spurgeon, well, then you're going to come on over to uh, the right side here. Yeah, that's right. In fact, there's a famous article, I think it was published for the first time in Banner of Truth magazine. It's called do you really like Spurgeon? Yeah. <laughs> because he's saying, you know, people people quote these snippets from Spurgeon right. that are really good, but if you read his theology, you know, would you really agree with him? Yeah. And the answer is no. I mean, he's too much like John MacArthur to be liked by the average evangelical. Yes. One of my favorite Spurgeon sermons is Five Ways to Be a More Successful Entrepreneur. It's a... <laughs> he would never... Uh, Phil, thank you so much, man, for giving us some of your thank time. You. We we are super blessed hey, by your I work. I want to get nope, in on nope, this. What? No, you're Phil done. Johnson's here without me. <laughs> we, we're, only, we're literally, we're literally we're just saying goodbye. Dare you guys. We were literally I was up on stage. Goodbye. We almost got away with it. <laughs> well, I had to torment Phil a little bit. Yes, how'd it go? Uh, it was great. All right, you know, good. They asked me to stay up there for hours and preach, <laughs> but I would have asked you that too. <laughs> I said I got to get to Phil Johnson, man. No, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Easy. I had to add my voice to this podcast. Of course, yeah. Wouldn't have been the same without it. (laughs) Well, God bless you. Thank you again, Phil. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. That was great. (laughs) 
<laughs> Boy, Phil What sure. was your favorite part? Right? Yeah, right. The was middle it? part is what thrilled my heart. Seriously, I felt palpitations just when he was talking. <laughs> it was just so great. Yeah, well, Phil sure had some good stuff to say about Ray and about Living Waters. And what an encouragement, like we talked about did in the really? podcast. He I did. take back what I just yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you guys talked to him about, obviously, I gloriously came on at the end. Oh, I'm so glad I caught the end at least. I had to get my voice in there. But... Hell's Best Kept Secret being one of his top messages of all time. That was cool to hear. Yeah. He said he, it was one of the best sermons Ray's ever heard. And that Ray's ever heard? heard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even he talked about a letter you wrote him on justification. Because, Mark, yep. in, the, in the podcast, you highlighted the fact that Phil had been honest with us about things that we can, we can do to enhance our declaration of the gospel. It, yeah. was, it was great. A constructive criticism, and and it was a great help. And he talked to you about how you wrote him a letter expressing where you stand on that. And he said it was it was one of the clearest presentations he'd heard. Oh, that's on great! Because he's a he's a an intellectual, survey. isn't he? He's oh, very he's sharp. Brilliant. Yeah, one of us. Ah! <laughs> simultaneously and in harmony. Yeah. So uh, that was delightful, huh, Mark? It was absolutely. Phil Phil's always somebody that I want to just go and listen to him speak, mm. no matter the topic. He's kind of like Grandpa. Right, and I oh, mean, that'll he, thrill him. Yeah. Well, listen, because he, he, he takes great delight in his right in his grandkids, and and he, I feel like I'm like that. I just want to go and listen to him speak and get the sage advice, not just of uh, things that he's going through, but um, just life. Yeah, he's got advice on life. Mm, that's amen. I'd love to just sit there. Yeah. Good stuff. You guys both did a great job on that, by the way. I listened to it. And oh, so, Izzy, you weren't involved in that? Yeah, except at the end, because I was up on stage. Okay. And we tried to reschedule with him. It didn't work. But mm. nonetheless... He was delighted. It worked out that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad he's not here. All right, friends, there you have it. Don't forget, my comfort is Jesus. Devotional morning and evening. Inspiration from Raymond comfort. Don't oh, call me Raymond. Raymond. My parents call me Raymond. My sister calls me Raymond. <laughs> and don't forget the living waters. Easy <laughs> knows you so well. well I can't uh, say a word without yeah. saying it before I do. That's true. And don't forget the Evidence Study Bible, Living Waters Mug, alllivingwaters.com. Friends, don't forget to give us those ratings and your comments on the platforms you listen on and podcasts at livingwaters.com with all that good stuff. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast the ultimate cure for insomnia we competed there on our snores i know you mine was better he pointed at me yeah chicken dinner i have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from but friends we do have winners winners for the podcast giveaway that is the living waters podcast we have angela from yucca valley california yvonne from crestline California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, good on you, Mike, and Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.